How are you doing this morning? Welcome to Center Church. My name is John. I'm the pastor here. Every time I watch that video, I feel like I should be in a, like a Jack Hanna special. <laughs> like walking up and look at this lizard. Like and this is not that cool. It's just me. This is, this is all you get for, for today. Uh, man, I'm really excited that you're here. Welcome to Welcome Home Sunday. Uh, this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year uh, may, for a lot of reasons, but mainly because there's a free taco bar after church. So I don't know if you're excited as I am. Uh, my house just smelled like the best parts of Taco Bell this morning. So uh, I think way higher than that, but that's just where my very small, shallow mind went. And uh, I'm so excited that you're here. And I, again, I don't know all of you. Maybe I don't know all of your names. Maybe you just don't know who I am. And uh, I'm the pastor here, but you may not know that much about me. But there's one thing that all of us have in common. I don't know all of you. I don't know your story. I don't know how far it took you, how long it took you to get here. I don't know um, how fearful maybe you were to check out a new church that meets in an elementary school gym. Uh, you have a lot of courage for doing that. But there's one thing we all have in common. We've all had a first job. Right? For the, for the many of us in the room, we have had a first job. And I, I recognize any time I do something like what I'm about to do, it could get a little rowdy. Um, but if you want, just call out this the first job you ever had. Just literally say it out loud in this room. Go ahead. One, two, three. Just call it out. Perfect. I heard paper boy. I heard pizza. Uh, my first job was at Pizza Hut. Now, I'm not talking in Pizza Hut like... Uh, the ones you see abandoned in every town in America that are like that weird triangle pizza hut hut shape. Like, I'm talking, it was a nice pizza hut, okay? And that's not an oxymoron, okay? I was actually hired as the host of Pizza Hut. They didn't let me touch food and they didn't let me serve people. But they're like, you'd be a great host. And so it was my senior year of high school. And uh, so I went, I got the uniform, I went and found the ugliest pair of black tennis shoes I could find because I don't know why you have to wear ugly shoes to serve. At said restaurants, but I did. I went and found them and began hosting. And I started to gain a little traction in that. I started to be like, hey, I, I would be willing to do more. And my boss was like, all right, well, you just keep doing what you're doing for a little bit longer. And eventually, I got to become a server. So I became a server. After spilling one too many pastas on customers, I moved to the cook. I moved back house, and he was like, you should just stay away from people in general. So he's like, I think you'd really flourish uh, as a cook in the back. And so a cook at Pizza Hut means you're a glorified microwave guy, and that's kind of what I was. I went back there, and I did my thing. I was very faithful. Um, all of it was a means to an end. Probably for your, your life, your job is kind of a means to an end. Maybe you really enjoy it, but for most of us, it's something we kind of do to get money and to get by. It was a means to an end. That senior of high school, I had the opportunity to live and to serve in Auckland, New Zealand. And I decided, my parents said, hey, we love, if you would go, we would totally bless that, but you have to pay for it. And I was like, all right, how am I going to do that? Like I was a junior in high school at that time. And so I got a first job at Beads Hut, saved up a ton of money. And for many of us, that's kind of how work is. I work so I can blank. Now for you, that may be I can retire early. That may be so my kids can go to the right school. Or, or for maybe it's for you so I can save up and buy the car I've always wanted or have the house or the landscaping plan I've always dreamed of. But uh, we all have something we fill in that blank with. I work so I can blank. For many of us, when you think about work, which is impending, if you work, you know that tomorrow morning, good chance that your alarm's going to go off and your routine's going to kick in and the week has started. Work has begun. 
And for many of us, some of those feelings ranges anywhere from dread and fear and outright just stress and worry. Others of us are really excited about our jobs. Others of us really like the position we're in. And some of us are somewhere in the middle because we don't have one. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out, should I be worried or stressed or should I really enjoy this season of my life? And wherever you find yourself, there's just a range of human emotion and an underlying question to all those feelings. Does work really matter? Does work really matter? Not in the context of do you need it to get money? We'd all probably nod our heads and agree. But does work matter eternally? Like in the grand scheme of your life, does it matter how you approached your work? It's a question I've never really wrestled with when it comes to the scriptures. And today we're going to do that. We've been actually journeying through the last week or so in this series called Field Guide for a Follower. Now, if you're a nature nerd like me, how many of you would say a kind of nature nerd? I'm a bird watcher. I like hiking. Any of those just shameless throw? I'm up here, like both hands up. And uh, field guides kind of help you spot things you otherwise would miss. Often field guides have to do with like flora and fauna and birds and a bunch of different things that come uh, when you are exploring nature. Uh, but for us, we're looking at what does it look like to spot, to find a real follower of Jesus? Now, I'm not going to assume you've ever bumped into any fake Christians, but I think I have once or twice, okay? People that said, I, I'm a Christian, or I, I believe in God, or I follow Jesus, and their life somehow doesn't look like they really do that, or they're not really deeply convicted about some of the situations or areas of their life. And so we're asking, how do you spot a real one? Like if you want to be a real one, you'd want to know what are some of the defining characteristics. Last weekend we talked about holding on to the gospel, letting our words and actions mesh together into a life message that really attracts the, out, the person who's on the outside of your life, maybe even the people who are in who are far from God. And today I want to look at work, something that we've all experienced, maybe we're in the middle of, and something maybe we are transitioning in. And so I want to invite you to turn to an actual book of the Bible, First. Thessalonians, which if you're like me, you always want to say that with a lisp, like first Thessalonians. It just feels good. I don't know. Hopefully I don't keep doing that. I, as I was rehearsing earlier, I kept doing that. I'm like, John, you cannot do that. No one will hear a word you're saying. So First Thessalonians 4, and I want to look at just a sliver. We've been in this book. We're going to continue to be in this letter called First and 2 Thessalonians over the next couple weekends. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to this young church. Now young churches, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they don't. Thessalonians, they were getting it right. Paul was encouraging them and spurring them on to think even greater about their following of Jesus. And in verse 9 of chapter 4, here's what he says. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do. You love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It's kind of a peculiar set of statements that Paul kind of meshes together in this letter. He's kind of halfway through his full letter to the Thessalonian church and he begins writing about love and then he starts writing about being quiet and working and then uh, winning the respect of people on the outside of faith. It's really interesting. 
But in Greek culture, as you dig in, you study it, Greek culture had a very, very low value of work. See, Greek culture, high unemployment and a high value for philosophy and ideas and, and different religions and discussing socioeconomic things. And people literally, if they didn't have a job, would just go to the town square. Now, Byron doesn't have like a real town square. I guess Houseman's is the closest we have. But they'd go to like a place like that and they'd sit around and just talk ideas for hours, sometimes days. They would just sit, waste time while their family's going hungry, while they don't have any way to pay the bills and to make things work in their life. They would just sit talking ideas. And that's hard for us to understand because we are a work culture. But it's really interesting to think about. This is who Paul is writing to. Manual labor itself, working with your hands just like your reference was shameful. Because it meant that you had done something wrong or didn't have your life together. The fact that you're out in the fields or you're working on plumbing or you're doing anything blue collar is like, what did you do wrong? Like, why are you doing that? It just was not valued in the culture. And many Christians, therefore, were poor. They were struggling with making ends meet. They just, they didn't have the kind of components to put together a life that provided for their family, for giving back to their local church. They weren't able to support the mission, but they loved one another. That was a key. And I don't know if you've ever tallied up the amount of hours you work in a year, but most of us will spend around 90,000 hours of our lifetime working. Some of you smiled and some of you just frowned at me. I just want to let you know how that looked. Some of you are like, yay, I love my job. I could do this all year. I could just, I could work nonstop. And some of you are like, oh my word. That's a bad, bad statistic. But 90,000 hours of our lifetime is spent in work. And so many of us approach work and the things we do for a job as being kind of like obligatory. Like I got to get through this and then I can get to the weekend. Thank God it's... Friday. It's like, I just want to move on. I want to get past this nine to five area of my life. And I think it's a fatal flaw, really, in our thinking. I think the Apostle Paul actually had a different approach to work. And I love, maybe better illustrated by uh, Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor, a theologian. He writes this about work, and I want you to just let this sink in. He says, it's the devil's work to make us think our work is not sacred and it's not holy. It's the devil's work to make us think, to trick us into believing that what we do 9 to 5 is not sacred, it's not holy, and it doesn't matter. And I think I, I can probably look at many of our lives, I know I've had moments where I can look at mine and say, man, some of those mundane, boring, administrative tasks, how in the world are those sacred, or how are they holy at all? That deal with that client, how is that sacred? That kind of corrective moment you have in the classroom with your kid, how is that sacred or holy? Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent and, and working with your kids right now doesn't feel sacred and doesn't feel holy. But Eugene is saying something, I think Paul echoes this in 1 Thessalonians 4, that it is our job to think about our work, to think about what we do as sacred or whole. And here's why I think he says that. Here's what I think if I had to kind of compile all of the Old and New Testament's theology, that is what they say spiritually about work, here's what it would be. Your work can be a witness. A witness to the good news of Jesus. A witness to the love and transforming power. A witness to the rescue and redemption we just spent 20 minutes singing about. A witness to all the things that he is. Your work can be that. I'm not saying it is that right now. I'm saying it can be that. 
And for all of us, we have the opportunity. It's the person who works in insurance. And rather than view their job just as a means to an end, they begin to view their employees and their desk and their office space as holy ground. That God can begin to move. You know how many people, insurance people, deal with on a weekly basis? Probably more than most of us. And none of it is often very pleasant situations. But if that person begins to view their work as witness... As, as a tool, as an avenue to not just say, I'm going to work hard so I can get money. I'm going to work hard so that people look at me and say, he works hard, or he has a different attitude, or he has a different motivation for why he works, and begin to ask questions. That's what Paul says, right? You saw it in verse 12. So that your daily life, your 9 to 5 life, not your Sunday 10 to 11, 15 life, your daily life may win the respect not just respect here in the Greek, but like that word is loaded with uh, may attract, may uh, appeal to, may cause for curiosity, may raise up questions about why are you living and working the way you are. It's just different. It's the person who in the classroom doesn't view the uh, kind of abused and, and broken kid as a problem child. They view them as an opportunity. And they begin to reach out to parents. And they teach different. And they work hard. And they get there early and they, sh and they leave late. Because their work is a witness. It's the landscaper who works with their hands. And is dealing with different quotes and different homes. And is driving all around Grand Rapids trying to make stuff happen. And, and make sure the sales are in. It's the person who says, I work with a team of guys in a construction crew. But my work is going to be a witness. Rather than get swept up in the way everyone else talks, I'm going to just talk a little bit different. Rather than spend my weekend the way everyone else does, I'm going to use it as a witness. I'm going to think about my job differently. I'm going to begin to share the hope and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Your work, no matter what you do, can be a witness. This is uh, apparent to me in a few different stories of people right here in our church. But, but probably the most prominent one that I began to think about as God was kind of pressing this message on my heart for today. Uh, it's one of my friends named Ashley. Ashley's attended here for multiple years. And one of the very cool things about her story is that she was invited by somebody else. And uh, a couple years ago, I got to baptize her. One of my favorite moments of my entire pastoral career is when I get to baptize people and them take that step. And and I got to baptize her a couple years ago. But Ashley works in daycare. You want to see a picture of what I think about when I hear the word daycare? That's what I think about when I hear the word daycare, okay? It's close. It's close. It's, yeah. It is, for me, a terrifying place. Like when I drive, I drive past Apple Tree on Byron Center Avenue almost daily. And I just look, I'm like, oh, Jesus, bless those people. <laughs> just work in their lives supernaturally. Like it is a unique I won't say bad or weird because my mom taught me not to do that. It's a unique and interesting environment. But something happened. Something clicked. I'd never met someone, honestly, who worked in a daycare center until I met Ashley. And, and Ashley, uh, a couple months after getting baptized, invited her employees, some direct reports, some people she worked with to, to our church, to Christmas. She invited them. And almost every week, you see on your bulletin, you got when you walked in, on the back of that next step card is a, a spot to put prayer, prayer requests. And every single week, almost, uh, without fail, uh, Ashley's praying for co-workers. She's writing down names of people she works with at the daycare. 
whether it's health concerns, they know. I mean, for some reason, they, they begin to see Ashley as a person to go to, and she's just aware of the needs. Her work is being a witness. She didn't have to change her environment. You don't have to get a, a pastor card or become ordained. You, what you do right now has incredible access to people who are broken and far from God. Probably more than me. And you can use that leverage to witness, to share the good news of Jesus. And one way you can spot a follower of Jesus is how they approach their work. It's what we do for the majority of our week. If Jesus is not transforming our workplace, what is he really transforming? Sure, there may be moments at home, there may be moments here in church where I feel really close to God. But you can look back at a follower of Jesus and say, how have they started to approach their work differently as a result of being in relationship with Jesus. Uh, I want you to write, if you're taking notes, I want you to write a passage down. I want to read it. It won't be on the screen. So if you have your Bible out, you can find it. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 13. I just want to read this because it's funny how you kind of track Paul's progression of thought. As you're going throughout this letter, you can see he begins to encourage and kind of command them. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Here's what Paul writes later on after what we had already read. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. In my mind, I'm thinking Greek philosophy in the courtyard. Idle, disruptive, not getting stuff done, not providing for your family. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who's unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they're just busy bodies. Some people... Uh, such people we command and urge in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. He kind of chastises them later on in the letter. Like there's some time, obviously, that has passed. And he's saying, you guys still don't get it. Work is not just about kind of making a paycheck or getting through the day. It actually is something that can glorify God. And here's the truth. This may be tangential, and that's fine. You can write this down if you want. When you don't work hard, you reveal to everyone else that work doesn't really matter. I've been in situations like that, right? Where I kind of gave 50% to something or I had some moments at Pizza Hut where maybe I didn't want to work that hard or I had plans that night and got called in. I'm like, okay, I'll do this, I'll do that. It's very kind of half-hearted. It's not really all in. But when you do that, even as a follower of Jesus, when you don't work hard, you reveal to others work doesn't have real value. It's just kind of a means to an end. It has no eternal significance. Here's the other side. When you overwork and work too hard, you reveal to everyone else that work is all that matters. That it's just almost more important than other things in your life. It takes priority over gathering on a Sunday. It takes priority over serving or joining a small group. Like, I, I can't. I've got, a, I've got all these work commitments. And there's nothing wrong with working hard. Paul says, you should work hard. But there is something wrong when work begins to take a wrong priority in our life. Either too low or much too high. Your work can be a witness. That's what Paul is saying. 
I want to pause here before we do anything else. Because I recognize as you're hearing this and as I'm reading this or I'm talking about this, that this could feel like a you've got to do better message. Work harder. Be more spiritual. (laughs) Just try more. Like kind of muster up the strength and just do more. And friends, I've lived with that wrong view of discipleship, of following Jesus for a very long time. It's had moments whether it was Pizza Hut or jobs in college and I had a very awesome cleaning job, cleaning our college campus throughout uh, university and it was really as romantic as it sounds. But there were moments, hard to believe, that I did not glorify God in my work. (laughs) When I was cleaning a toilet, I was like, I have no idea how this matters to anyone and I don't even want to use that stupid brush thing, so I'm not going to. Like all these, I just, I remember those thoughts and I remember how I viewed work was so wrong. I didn't think about it as being a witness. And this is not a just go and do better message. This is not what Paul is saying. To Jesus, by his death and resurrection, freed us from having to work harder to achieve salvation. From having to earn or kind of stack up our merits and see, God, where do I fall? Like, I sinned a little, but now I'm doing something nice. Or I went to church that Sunday, and then I kind of blew it off the next Sunday. Where do I rank? Like, in this spiritual hierarchy. And for many, many years, that's how I thought faith worked. Maybe God will have mercy on me if I'm, like, really nice to that person. Then I can cuss out my brother, and, and hopefully those equal out. Like, hopefully those work out together. But many of us do that. We have a scorecard, and it's no more defined than, like, karma. The gospel is not karma. God sent his son to be sacrificed and, and, be for, and really offer forgiveness to you because you did not deserve it. There's nothing you can do. And Jesus came to your rescue when you had no interest in him. Without a chance that you would even reciprocate. Have you ever thought about that? To love, as C.S. Lewis says, is to be vulnerable. And Jesus truly loved you and I. That is the essence of the gospel. The gospel rescues us. It redeems us from thinking that we have to work harder and just achieve. And yet in the same way, it redeems the work we do. It matters how... We mow that person's lawn. It actually has eternal significance how we approach that business meeting. It matters how we do deals and whether or not we cut corners, whether or not we're honest, whether or not we're ethical, whether or not we really are trying to love the people that we have to work around, whether or not we tell the truth, whether or not we choose to engage in gossip that we know is destructive. How we work matters. Our work can be a witness. And if you want to turn the corner on this, maybe you're like, okay, I, I understand. I, I want that to be true. It only will happen if you try to figure it out in community. If you ever try to do something hard by yourself, if you ever try to, uh, whether it's run a race or, or kind of work on a new habit or cook a really difficult meal or whatever it is, it, it's just always easier and always more uh, understood when you do it in community. That's why today, I mean, when you go out to lunch and I hope you join us, you have the opportunity to join a group. And to walk out of here and say, I'm going to make a commitment for an hour or so a week to be in a group of people who are studying the scriptures, who are trying to figure out, and not like a whole mini microcosm of pastors. It's like normal people. It's people who are just like you and just like me who are trying to figure out faith and to live out a real discipleship to Jesus. You can join a group. But here's what's at stake. You may sit here and be like, what? Does this really matter? Like, can't I just go to work tomorrow and just think about it like normal? And that's true, you can. 
You can walk into work tomorrow or get on the call or, or uh, head to the school or pick up your kid. All of that can be exactly the same as it's always been. And you'll get the exact same results from it you always have got. But if you and I choose to live it out, to say, okay, Paul, what are you saying? I want my daily life to win the respect, to, to attract those who are far from God and bring them in to relationship with him. You and I will choose to walk into work differently tomorrow. Not like in some abstract, like, hey, in a year I'm going to try that. But what if you did that every single Monday to Friday or if you work weekends or third shift, wherever you're at, what if you chose to walk into work differently and by September 2020, I'm guaranteeing your life will be different because of how much time you spend, because of how God wants to use you in the place that he's given you, the, the position, the influence you have, with the means he's entrusted to you. And that's really what faith is all about. That's what a, being a kind of a field guide for a follower, to be able to spot in the everyday parts of our life how, how we're different, how the gospel really changes us. And we're going to sing a song. I actually invite the team up right now. We're going to sing a song called Came to My Rescue. The irony of this song is that my senior year of high school, I began to lead worship. This is while I'm working at Pizza Hut, mind you. I'm a man of multi-talents, okay? I can cook pizza and lead worship. Like, I was, I was growing in that. But it's the exact same time frame where this song started to get really popular. And Brendan didn't know that part of my story. We didn't, we just kind of, it just kind of fell together. The Holy Spirit kind of knit this all together. I remember singing the bridge of this song, in my life be lifted high, in our world be lifted high, in our love be lifted high, and if work is anything, it's that kind of prayer. God, in, in my job tomorrow, whatever it means, just be lifted high. In our entire world, in the community that I'm a part of, be lifted high. In, in the love I try to demonstrate for my coworkers. I'm trying to live out with my spouse. I'm trying to love my kids well. In all of that, God, be lifted high. And that's really the desire of, of what Paul is writing in Thessalonians about. My desire for you and Jesus' desire for us is that we would model that kind of life. Is that our work would be a witness. And so, church, I want to pray over you. I know that there's a lot of different situations in this room. A lot of different circumstances. A lot of different jobs some may feel like they're really spiritual, some may not at all. But I want to pray over you and commission you as a person who's been given influence. And so, let's pray together.